Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. Welcome to the Dan Bongino Show interview series. Today's guest is going to be Jenna Ellis, senior legal advisor to President Trump on the campaign. It's a fascinating interview. We always tape the intros afterwards, as I always tell you. Uh, a lot of great questions here about polling, uh, other things, where the campaign is going, messaging-wise, what are the chances of winning? A lot of good stuff. Today's show brought to you by friends at ExpressVPN. Surf the web with peace of mind. Get a VPN today. Go to expressvpn.com slash Bongino. I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. We had a lot of topics, so stay tuned. Before we get to that, uh, let's get to our sponsors. Today's show also brought to you by our friends at Helix Sleep. Helix Sleep is a quiz. It takes just two minutes to complete and it matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Are you a side sleeper, a hot sleeper like me? You like a plush or a firm bed with Helix? There's no more guesswork, no more compromising. Helix Sleep is rated the number one mattress by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is the most comfortable mattress we have ever slept on. We have two of them, one for us, one for my daughter. They're terrific. Go to helixsleep.com slash Dan. Take their two-minute sleep quiz and they'll match you to a customized mattress mattress that'll give you the best sleep of your life. It's like sleeping on a cloud. They have a 10-year warranty. You have to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it. You will. We do. Right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Dan for up to $200 off your mattress order today. Go today. Helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash Dan. Helixsleep.com slash Dan. Now, without further ado, our good friend, Jenna Ellis. All right, welcome to the Dan Bongino Show interview series. Happy to welcome uh, my good friend, Jenna Ellis. Jenna is the senior legal advisor for the Trump campaign and a senior fellow at the Falkirk Center for Faith and Liberty. Her Twitter handle is at Jenna Ellis ESQ. Jenna, welcome to the program. Honored to have you here today. Thanks so much, Dan. And I'm on Parlor too, because you uh, recommended that and it's a great platform. So definitely follow me there too. Parlor, I, I, I am one of the owners there. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Thanks for reminding me. This social media era here. Yeah, we uh, that's a big fight. Uh, maybe for another conversation you and I will have. But Jenna, let me get right into it. So you're intimately involved with the campaign, obviously, being their senior legal advisor. Uh, we're hearing a lot about the polls. We've been told by the media. And to be fair, they were wrong in 2016, most of them, on poll predictions based on President Trump's performance in 2016. They obviously were made to look foolish, but they were being told with the polls now that President Trump is going to lose. He's going to lose badly, potentially by, you know, double digits. What's the campaign think about the polls? Are the polls right or the polls wrong? And if they're wrong, why do you think they're wrong? Yeah, so, well, I personally uh, don't put much stock in the polls because we saw, as you mentioned, in 2016, uh, the polls were just driven by the media to advance this narrative uh, to, to, to suppress the motivation behind the president. And so what they often do, um, as you know, Dan, will just take a sample of uh, just adults, not even registered voters or likely voters, right. and they'll also diminish the Republican percentage of the turnout, and they'll also gear the questions toward a manufactured outcome. So the polls can be manipulated in so many different ways uh, just to say that somehow there's some kind of motivation behind Joe Biden. And the polls don't really reflect reality. I mean, if you see how much support and motivation is actually behind President Trump, nobody is uh, is sitting here going, I am so excited to vote for Joe Biden. It's right. all about the motivation behind President Trump. So our internal polls, which we actually care at the campaign about fact and truth, we want to know uh, exactly where we stand. We want to know uh, what voters are thinking, what's most important to them. So our internal polls at the campaign uh, show a very different story and actually show the sincere motivation behind President Trump, um, especially with uh, the black vote, with suburban women, uh, with so many different categories of, um, of voters that really care substantively about about the issues heading into 2020, but also what President Trump has done uh, with all of his accomplishments over the last three and a half years. That does matter to everyone. So um, so we don't take a whole lot of stock in the media polls. And to your second question, um, really the reason for that is the media is trying, like they did in 2016, to drive this narrative, like that ridiculous story that actually Fox News put out to say that somehow President Trump is getting so discouraged he might actually drop out before the election. That's ridiculous. I mean, I talk to him on a regular basis. He's so excited about the re-election campaign. Um, he's really excited ahead for the next four years. That kind of narrative is just to put it out there to shape public perception in a way that's fundamentally false. 
So folks, listen, I know, I know Jenna well, and um, Jenna's not kidding. She has a direct uh, communication link with the president. It's not her patting herself on the back. It's just important for the sake of this interview. So you understand when Jenna's citing, you know, a story about alleged sources inside the campaign, she is one of those people inside the campaign. So just to be clear, because at the end, that story got a lot of traction. There is no talk whatsoever of Mr. Trump, President Trump, dropping out of this race. Not at all. I mean, this it, it was it's so ridiculous to say, oh, sources cited where, of course, you know, we understand that journalism, you can protect your sources. But that also allows some fake news media outlets to manufacture sources or to just get it um, a little bit wrong or to advance a narrative. Uh, but in this case, that story was completely false. And so there is no talk um, inside the campaign at all. We are all uh, really excited about the reelection. And again, you know, President Trump's mindset. Everyone uh, in the journalistic community or these, as I call them, activists, because that's really yeah, what they are. They are. Yeah. Yeah. They're fake news. And they just want to pretend that they can get inside the mind of the president. They don't have access directly to him. They're not talking to him on a regular basis. This is their own propaganda that they're trying to pretend is fact and truth and hoping that you'll buy it. Uh, president Trump is not going to drop out. He's very excited. He's motivated. Um, he's very positive looking into 2020. I mean, I just spoke with him um, a few times this week, and uh, he's really looking forward to uh, getting back on the campaign trail. He loved the Tulsa event in Arizona. I was with him in Arizona. Uh, that was a great event to students in particular who loved it. You saw the motivation there. And so, you know, the camera doesn't lie. And when you see the audience that is so excited and the motivation behind this, you see him walk out to proud to be an American, that song, and you see how much energy and enthusiasm he has. That's the real story. Yeah. Let me ask you this, though. Um, I, I go both ways on this with the polling. Having run for office uh, three times myself, I saw the weakness in the polling in 2016. Regular listeners to my show have heard this story a thousand times. The Reader's Digest version is this. I was knocking on a lot of doors of hardcore Republican voters because I was competing in a Republican primary for Congress. Every other door had a Trump sign, yet they weren't on my list. So I started knocking on the doors of people with Trump signs who weren't on my list of registered Republican voters. And I'd say, hey, you got a Trump sign. You, you never voted before? And they'd say, nope, never. But I'm voting now which was an obvious reason why the polling was so off in 2016. People who weren't ever showing up in a poll as a registered or even likely voter, or vice versa, I should say, they weren't showing up. But the, let me give you the, 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 the kind of the con and the pro here. The con here is I'm a little worried about the polls this time, Jenna, just being candid, because those people are going to show up in 2020 because they voted in 2016. So they're either going to be registered or likely. There's no way around that. So we're not going to miss them. So I'd just like to get your take on that. And, but let me give you the, 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 the pro side as well. The pro side, why these polls, I think, may be way off. I was reading an interesting uh, piece in Politico or something. Forgive me. I, even once in a while, I read fake news, too. But they did make an interesting point. They said that white college-educated men and white college, uh, non-college educated, high school diploma, whatever it may be, men, that the disparities in their voting patterns were usually really slim. So if you got the percentages wrong about who was going to show up in a poll, white college educated men or white uh, high school educated men, it's a big body of the electorate, obviously. It didn't really affect the poll that much. But the article said that's not the case this time, that President Trump pretty much dominates amongst people with a high school diploma and with college educated, it doesn't do badly, but not as well. So just kind of like the pros and cons on that. I don't want President Trump to, to gaff off the polls either. You get what I'm saying? Like we need to look at both sides. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it is true that, um, you know, there there are some. Uh, ways that you can look at the polls and at least get some quality information, but it's just one piece of information. It doesn't paint the entire picture. And he does do well um, across demographics. And we see that again internally. And internally, our uh, our polls and the way that we uh, we construct our polls and we actually ask all of these questions are designed to give us a better, more clear picture of what's really going on, where the fake news media polls are manipulated and designed for an outcome that's adverse to the president. So that's really a difference. I mean, you have to look at how many people uh, were actually sampled, were they registered or even likely voters? 
um, and what percentage was Republican. I mean, you have to look at all of the crosstabs. And I mean, if you're not a polling expert and you don't really understand all of that data, then just the sheer headline and the outcome is what they're trying to get you to go for. So while, you know, of course, there are differences um, and slight ups and downs uh, on any given day um, among a, a particular demographic, well, that may be, uh, there may be some truth to that. The overall picture is that the motivation behind this president um, in 2016, the people who showed up for the first time, they're going to vote for him again. But what we've seen at the rallies, and the rallies actually give us really interesting data as well, is that even in my home state, one of the last rallies we did before the coronavirus uh, was uh, in February. And there was 18% of the people who came as Trump supporters were actually registered Democrats. And so I think that there's also been a huge conversion rate because you don't see the motivation behind Joe Biden like you did with Hillary Clinton. She was a completely love or hate candidate. You, you kind of see this indifference with Joe Biden. And yeah. so the people who are actually paying attention, the reasonable, genuinely moderate Democrats are saying, you know what? He built a great economy. He actually uh, gave you know, the, the First Step Act. He actually cares about the issues that all Americans, regardless of party, care about. So I think we're going to see even um, a wider swath of registered Democrats that are going to vote for President Trump because they've seen that he's a man of his word and he has made those promises. He's kept those promises. And especially everyone wants this economy to bounce back. We all know Joe Biden can't do that. That's yeah. going to be a huge issue moving forward. And so I think even looking at uh, the Democrats and of course, the fake news media is not going to pull. Those are the ones I think that we're going to see a huge and wider margin for the president in 2020. But do you think that apathy about Joe Biden, which listen, let's just talk Turkey here is absolutely there. Nobody is excited about Joe Biden and no one. I'm serious. I mean, even Joe Biden's best friends and neighbors are not excited about a Biden presidency. This is clearly the Democrats saying, we just don't like Trump. This guy won. He's a placeholder and we'll get back to business. We'll let Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi run the country if he wins. That's clearly what's going on right now. Having said that, you would think that would be a positive for President Trump. I don't see it that way, though, Jenna. I see it that in 2016, you're right. Hillary Clinton was reviled. I mean, just the horrible campaigner, you know, deplorable. We heard all of it. You know, all you deplorables and basket of deplorables. Just people really couldn't stand Hillary, even a good swath of Democrats. But do you think that apathy about Joe Biden, where it's it's not like that no one really dislikes him, but no one likes him either. Do you think that may hurt you? And and, uh, um, forgive me to layer these questions. But in light of the fact that, you know, President Trump, there's been some criticism lately that the message for the reelect has been kind of muddled. He's been getting a lot of criticism over the Sean Hannity interview where when he was asked about the platform, um, the answer appeared a little bit muddled. So do you think that was kind of the apathy factor and the muddled message a bit or, you know, what he's been accused of maybe hurting him a little bit? Yeah, well, you know, I think that you're definitely right about the apathy uh, toward Joe Biden. That is uh, that's not even a question. I mean, we see that so clearly. And I think that that is a double edged sword because, you know, when you have a uh, strong villain really like Hillary, there is motivation a lot of people to come out to vote against her. Right. So that was a huge motivation in 2016. Um, I mean, when, you know, I didn't know um, the president, in ter- I didn't know him personally in 2016. I voted for him as um, a hope that he would fulfill his promises. And I was a strong supporter of him. Uh, but I also really did not want Hillary Clinton to win. And so that was also <laughs> a factor, I think, for a lot of conservatives no. that we don't see with Biden. And so that apathy, I think, is a double-edged sword. But what Americans have to recognize, especially conservatives, is while you may be apathetic toward Joe Biden, Look at the people who he is going to put in place in his administration. You have Beto O'Rourke who's saying the police are going to come and take away your guns. Uh, And, you know, an AOC who wants to be in charge of climate change. He wants to put Elizabeth Warren um, at the head of the Treasury. I mean, these are all people that fundamentally we can viscerally react to the same way as Hillary Clinton to say that they are such progressive leftists. We never want them to touch powerful positions in government uh, ever. I mean, hopefully they'll get out of government uh, soon because they're not fulfilling their oath of office to preserve and protect the rights that God, our creator, um, endowed in us and that are 
the declaration fundamentally recognizes that we're going to be celebrating this weekend. Um, so when you look at Joe Biden, you can't just be apathetic toward him as a candidate. You have to look at his entire scope of, of what would be his administration. And that, I think, is the message that the campaign needs to uh, put out even more strongly. It's not just attacking Joe Biden and trying to... Uh, to have a campaign message around him, but to say this is entirely about the Democrat, extremist, Marxist, yeah. leftist, anti-freedom, anti-liberty party. And that I think conservatives do viscerally react to. And that's the message that President Trump, I think, um, moving forward over the next four months. Uh, absolutely. We need to do a better job at the campaign with messaging that very clearly, because what you saw um, in the Sean Hannity interview and, you know, knowing the president, knowing um, more of the, the kind of the behind the scenes stuff, when he responded to Sean Hannity with um, talking about over the next four years, he was clearly talking about staffing. And his platform of drain the swamp was so important because he came in, Dan, as a citizen president. And that's so important for everyone to realize that we have over the last um, you know, hundred years or more of American history, we've elected uh, presidents who've either been war veterans, who have risen up through governorships or being a senator. They've had some connection uh, with government before, but our founders in their wisdom designed the office of the president to be a citizen, not that you know you you can't have that expertise or that background and that experience, but you don't have to. And the reason for that is because President Trump, for this moment, is exactly what the founders envisioned. That he came in in 2016 and he said, "Why are we doing all of this? Why are we spending money over here? Why are we, uh, you know, committing our assets under? Why are we? Why aren't we reevaluating our trade deals with like?" Wait, NAFTA can I stop you though, Jenna? This is important. Sure. Because the president has a tremendous, tremendous record to run on. I mean, I'd make the case maybe outside of the debt, which has exploded. And obviously the coronavirus has added to that. But outside of the debt, which, listen, I don't like debt, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, doesn't matter to me. Tax cuts, judges, regulatory reform, uh, initiatives in the black community, which GOP has been largely absent on forever. School choice, education reforms. I mean, the president's record is tremendous. I, I'm listen, I'm a conservative. It's not a secret. I'm not even pretending to be objective here, but my best attempt to pull myself out of it and look, the record is incredible. If it wasn't, the Democrats wouldn't be so upset. I mean, think about it, right? They hate this. Obviously, a lot of it's personality driven, but they hate this president so much because it's not just his personality and the bravado and the whatever they perceive as brashness. It's because he actually got stuff done. So that's what I, I don't want to say I'm worried because I, I know I've spoken to the president, not as much as you, not nearly as much, but it's clear to me he gets it. But I'm just concerned that with, with due respect to you and the campaign, the campaign understands, too, that they've really got to nail this down, that our, is our message going to be, here's what we did, and this is going to be another four years of this leading to even better outcomes in the future. They've got to really you know nail that down, because it's not me or you that need to be convinced. We get it. Like, I know exactly what the president uh, did and what he wants to do. But there are some independents out there who don't do what we do. You know, they're not in front of Fox 24 hours a day and on Twitter and parlor and facial Facebook and reading, you know, Breitbart conservative review and, you know, that kind of stuff. They don't get they need to hear it. And, and that's what has me a tiny kind of bit concerned. So is the is there equal concern yeah. in the campaign? Well, I think that there's always a concern, right? Because there's always a concern that um, you know, that somehow over the next four months, uh, not enough people uh, will show up. I mean, that's one of the things. Election integrity is also a huge issue that in the midst of coronavirus, the Democrats are trying to do uh, to manipulate ele election laws and push this whole vote by mail scheme so that there's fraud in the election. Um, I mean, so there's a lot of factors that are coming in here. And, um, and, and you're right, Dan, that not everyone kind of lives and breathes politics in the same way that you and I do on a daily basis. And so my, my concern is always like, so my mom and my dad, you know, they live out in Colorado. They are very concerned and invested citizens, but they have lives to live. You know, they don't, they don't do all of this 24 seven. And so when they text me and they're like, Hey, 
you know, what's going on with X thing? I realized that they just want a snapshot and they just want a picture. And when they tell me something like, hey, I'm kind of worried about this or is President Trump doing okay or what's going on with the campaign? That gives me, you know, it's just one piece of information. But those types of individuals, that's the kind of people that that gives me personally a snapshot of where kind of middle America is, the people who genuinely care about this country. I mean, listen, I'm not a Republican because I am party over country and neither is President Trump. He is a conservative. He has consistently said country over party. And that's where I think even with the registered Democrats and some of the independents and the moderates really need to understand this point. And where I agree with you, the campaign has to harness this opportunity and better message this idea that our citizen president has come in and he has shaken up Washington in a very good way. And he's a leader for this time. So his response to Hannity was talking all about staffing and saying, you know, at moving into the next four years, he wants to get even better people around him that aren't rhinos. They're not dedicated to the Washington swamp. They're not doing things, you know, the way that we've done them for the last 50 and 60 years of the spineless uh, party that, you know, we all are as genuine conservatives are really frustrated about. He wants people like you, Dan, you know, who really care about this country. You know, you care about your family. You care about God. You care about the things that make this country great to get people around him that will help um, move forward the next four years in even a more positive trajectory than his accomplishments over the last three and a half years. Because now he does have experience in Washington. He's gotten so much done. Can I I stop you there? Because you're making another good point and I don't want to lose it. Um, There are a lot of questions as well about staffing decisions. And you just brought that up. Um, And it it wasn't on my, I have a lot of questions for you. I had a huge list here. There it is. But you're saying so much interesting stuff. I don't want to lose this here. There's been a legitimate criticism by me and others that, you know, hey, listen, you know, the first four years we brought in some people who really didn't have the president's best interests in mind. And it's, it's upsetting. I mean, personally upsetting, not just politically. And we've had to clean up a lot of messes. Um, you know, John Bolton, who just was, uh, uh, you know what, I'm going to leave the because I, I, you're, you're, you are a very nice woman. And what I'm going to say would probably offend you. John Bolton's a bad guy. I'll leave it at that. Um, I was not a huge fan of H.R. McMaster. Thank him for his service to the country. I mean that. Um, but again, that doesn't absolve you of, being criticized in a government position where, you know, you have a lot of responsibility. So I I guess my question here is, was the president taking a kind of team of rivals approach where he was trying to bring people in from all wings of the Republican Party to inform himself and they just turned on him? Or was it just, you know, a couple bad decisions personnel wise and he learned from it and he's moving on? Because, Jenna, we can't take four more years of these insider uh, people who are just selling them out at every opportunity. It's just disgusting. He puts his faith in these people. Wait, I'm sorry, one more thing. He puts his faith in these people who screwed him over. He has dinner with Mitt Romney, considers the guy for secretary of state. At every opportunity, Mitt Romney just turns around and stabs the guy in the back. It's the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. Yes, it is. And that, Dan, is exactly the point that he made on Hannity that nobody was willing to acknowledge. And President Trump would be the first person to say that there were staffing decisions that uh, that were made based on uh, insiders and based on you know people who were recommended to him that were a disaster. I mean that's why he has fired John Bolton. That's why he's you know got, that's why he got rid of Jeff Sessions. Uh, that's why he said you know we're not going to take uh, you know these people who are so steeped in the swamp mentality that they're not willing to actually get on board the Make America Great agenda. And if we look at the system of government that our founders designed, they didn't design it for career politicians. They didn't design it for, you know, the Washington insiders that go to cocktail parties that say, you know, let's leverage this point versus that and uh, really, you know, not take care of our government in the best way to preserve and protect the rights of individuals. That's what conservatism is. We're conserving something. We're conserving this idea of American exceptionalism. President Trump, more than anyone else, gets that. That's why he ran in the first place. And so as an outsider, I mean, think about it. If you are me uh, ran for president and we're coming from outside the beltway, you know, with with connections, but not being steeped in the Washington swamp. 
we're going to take some recommendations for staffing from people that we trust. And some of those decisions uh, were not great staffing decisions because of how they were recommended to the president. So he is committed to draining the swamp even more over the next four years and placing people there. Like the chief of staff, Mark Meadows, that is a great call. Mark has been around the swamp. He knows the Terrific. And I I love him too. I think he's excellent. Um, For for the people who don't know, he was the chair of the Freedom Caucus, which Mm -hmm. actually cares about protecting our rights. He did a great job in Congress. Um, and so he is now around the president to be able to help with that. Um, and he's done actually a great job, even that the media isn't reporting over the last few months that he's been the chief of staff. There has been a large staffing turnaround in very key positions. When you look at people like Rick Grinnell, who are coming in as the acting mm, DNI, he was amazing. And so those type of people, um, the people who are just committed to the American agenda, are, are the people that President Trump wants to put in place. And he has a much clearer picture moving into the next four years than he did just coming in in 2016. And it's But don't, Jenna, don't you find that interesting, though, on that point? That, that mm-hmm. the media, which, and folks, forgive me, I'm not trying in any way to be adversarial with Jenna. I, Jenna and I are great friends, and I'm a big supporter of the president. So that's no secret. But I do get questions from the audience where they're concerned about things. It's because they care. And that's why I'm asking them. So don't, um, this is not some kind of like uh, adversarial interview at all. Um, but it's interesting the media spin on everything the president does. The media spin after Bolton. Which, when, by the way, when he hired Bolton, they were like, oh, my gosh, the worst thing ever. John Bolton's terrible. And he fired him. John Bolton's a hero. He's a martyr. Beatify him tomorrow. You can't win with these people. When he hires people, they criticize him. When he hires people that disagree with him, the president did not run as a foreign policy hawk, but he hired someone who was getting some. The media, the president's a tyrant. He only likes agreeers around him, except when he hires people who don't. But then when he makes a spectacular decision, of which he's had many. Bill Barr, can we agree? Rick Grinnell, spectacular. John Ratcliffe, uh, equally as spectacular, even though early in his tenure. I mean, the list goes up. Mark Meadows, who I have a lot of personal admiration for. I mean, the people he's picked, a lot of these decisions have been, Sonny Perdue, others, have done a really, really good job. I mean, it's just insane how you get a couple of bad picks. Every administration's done that. They fired people early on or they didn't agree with. I mean, Obama went through a few chief of staffs in a row. And then Obama was, uh, you know, Obama was painted as this great guy and Trump's always painted as an idiot. It's like he can't win. Absolutely. And that's what the fake news is doing. It's trying to treat President Trump as somehow different than every other president throughout American history. And so everything that he does is negative to them and they'll spin it as negative. So when he hires someone, like you said, you know, John Bolton is the worst person. We're going to get into wars. It's this terrible decision. And then when President Trump fires him, it's like all of a sudden he's on ABC, you know, as as this person who somehow has wonderful inside information where it was so clear in that interview, he had a completely different idea of policy and thought he knew better than the president. Well, guess what, John Bolton? You weren't elected. President Trump was elected by we the people to serve in that office. And he is taking that seriously and not allowing other people to run the country for him. I have been in meetings personally with the president where he is always the smartest person in the room. And even if there's 20 people around, he knows more about what's going on about every single department than they do. And this is a president whose management style, when he comes from Wall Street, he comes from managing a, a huge organization and he knows how to be a CEO. And he is invested in managing this country in a way that no other president has in modern American history. And that's remarkable. And that's the message that the campaign needs to drive more, not just be so defensive over all this, you know, just flack that the media wants to drive toward, but rather we need to get out the message of why President Trump as the citizen president is truly uh, making decisions in the best interest of America. That's why you know the China uh, trade deal. That's why the USMCA that actually you know this week went into effect. That's why he defunded the World Health Organization after he saw what happened with the pandemic. That's why he's been so transparent. I mean, all of these things, building the economy, having you know moving into the pandemic, we had the strongest economy, the lowest unemployment rate. He'll build that again, and those are the accomplishments because. Because it's who he is, not just because 
he's running uh, he's running the same way that Washington has always done. And that's why the shakeup in 2016 was such a clear message. We don't want someone like Hillary Clinton. 2020, we don't want someone like Joe Biden. We don't want someone with the 40 years in the swamp. We want a citizen president who will question everything and who will be willing to stand up and say, no, that is not in the interest of Americans. That's not in the interest of my mom and dad. That's not in the interest of you and your wife. He says, you know, we will keep and protect the Second Amendment. Why? Because he knows that self-defense and keeping you and your family secure in your homes matters to people. It matters to him. Every time I talk to him, so concerned about all of these issues because he genuinely cares about America. When you see him go out on that stage, Dan, and he's talking to the people that, you know, in the crowd, that's the same conversation as one-on-one because he, he sees that as a gathering. No, I, I can attest to that. Jenna's like, right. by the way, we're talking to Jenna Ellis, senior legal advisor for the campaign. I'm going to take a break here in a second, but I can absolutely attest to that. Um, the way he talks to Whatever. The guy, you know, serving him a bagel in the bagel store is the exact same way he talks to everyone else. That is not a joke. That is not hyperbolic. Jenna is not kidding. And I I just want to kind of reiterate something you said and double down on it, too. How he doesn't get a lot of credit for his ability to grasp an issue and think outside the box. He doesn't. The media is just, just like with Reagan, they're absolutely convinced that he's a dunce because he didn't go to journalism school. They are. Yet I've had conversations with him. I'm not at liberty to share, obviously, with that. But... Where I brought up an issue, I'm a, I'm a wonk on economics. I love economics. It's my thing. And I was actually stunned by his answer one time on a tax issue because he caught me off guard because he picked up something, even though this has been my bread and butter, he picked up something I totally missed. And I have to tell I wasn't surprised because he was you know, smart enough to figure it out. I was surprised enough that I didn't. And he got it before me, even though I'd come in kind of prepared on it. He's very, very smart. Let me take a quick break. We're talking to Jenna Ellis, senior legal advisor for the Trump campaign and senior fellow at the Falkirk Center for Faith and Liberty. We'll be right back. Today's show also brought to you by our good friends at ExpressVPN. You've heard me talking a lot about ExpressVPN. I open up the show with them every day. Why is it important? Because listen, a lot of you are working from home right now. It's never been more important to choose a VPN you trust. I do my research on my sponsors. We only recommend brands we can use and we believe in. I say with confidence that ExpressVPN is the best VPN on the market. Here's why we use it here. Number one, ExpressVPN doesn't log your data. Lots of cheap VPNs make money by selling your data to ad companies. No good. ExpressVPN developed a technology called Trusted Server that makes it impossible for their servers to log any of your info. Number two, speed. I've tried a lot of VPNs in the past. They slow your connection down. They make your device sluggish. I got no time for that. We use ExpressVPN because it's quick, blazing fast. When I connect to servers even thousands of miles away, I can still stream HD quality video with zero lag. Something else that really sets ExpressVPN apart is how easy it is to use. Unlike other VPNs, you don't have to put an input or program anything. You just fire up the app and click one button to connect. It's really that easy. It's not just me saying this. Wired, CNET, The Verge, and many other tech journals rate ExpressVPN the number one VPN in the world. Don't waste any more time. Don't put your data at risk. Protect yourself with the VPN we use and we trust in my house. Use my link, expressvpn.com slash Bongino today and get an extra three months for free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash Bongino. Visit expressvpn.com slash Bongino. Learn more. Go today. Check it out. Back to my interview with Jenna Ellis. We're back with Jenna Ellis, senior legal advisor for the Trump campaign. Very happy to have her here. Just, uh, it was really, I had a whole list of questions for you in the first half of the interview. I only got through a few of them. Um, Let me get to this question. Again, just addressing some of the critiques we get from the hacks in the media and from a lot of our liberal friends out there who don't seem to get President Trump. You know, he's criticized often, Jennifer, being transactional. You know, uh, what can this guy do for us? What can this country do for us? One, I dispute that. I don't, I think he's ideologically driven like most politicians are. Um, and that's a good thing. And that ideology is conservatism. Why? Because I've heard him speak to it. Uh, maybe not as traditional in many senses, but he's criticized for being this transactional kind of, you know, uh, tit for tat guy. Yeah, you, we're not going to do this unless they do that for us. Again, I dispute that, but 
We've had presidents in the past who claimed to be Republicans and claimed to be ideological. We're with you. We're pro-life and we're pro-Second Amendment and we're going to cut your taxes. We've heard it all. Jenna, you've seen the campaign signs too. They get into office in Congress, the Senate, or the presidency in some cases. I think you know what I mean. And what do we get? We get Democrat light. We get big softies. Well, you know, abortion. We're not going to really bring that thing up. Abortion. We don't need to talk about that. Tax cut. Well, you know, I'm not really into the whole tax cuts thing. We're going to be accused of you know tax cuts for the rich the president i don't think he's transactional but i think he understands the value of a transaction that benefits the conservative ideology any thoughts yeah. on that criticism you hear often yeah you know the the fake news media will try to take anything positive and spin it into a negative i mean if he was only ideologically driven they would say well he's not practical he doesn't get it his head's in the clouds and then you know when he does the transaction that is the art of the deal, that negotiation that, that frankly has to happen, right? Um, you know, that's, that is what we elect a president to do is to be in a sense transactional. Uh, then they criticize him for that and say, oh, he just operates without principle. Well, no, you know, he has a foundational set of principles, which by the way, are the same as the founding fathers. And he understands that he understands the margins of uh, article two and his limitations in terms of the office of the president. That's why he's so frustrated with Congress. Um, that's why, you know, the whole DACA, uh, you know, debacle was saying, you know, he was willing to work with Congress, but he understands that when president Obama legislated, threw his phone in his pen and put out that executive order that was unconstitutional. It was illegal. So he's rescinding that and he's saying, Congress, you've got to deal with it because that's what our separation of powers provides. So he's very ideological, but he's also transactional in a good way, meaning he gets stuff done. He's not just sitting there in the Oval Office pontificating and saying, you know, oh, wouldn't it be great if he's actually looking at what can I get done? And he has gotten more done and accomplished for the American people and for the interests of that ideology than any yeah. any president since Reagan, or even, I think, even more so than Reagan. I mean, he is the first president who's actually a doer, not just a speaker of the conservative ideology. So for him to show up, like you mentioned abortion, for him to show up at the, the March for Life and yeah. to actually take that for him to, as much as he can in the executive branch, defund Planned Parenthood, those are actions that are transactional in furtherance of that ideology. Yeah. But the fake news media will never say that. All they do is criticize and they want to sell you a lie. They want to sell you a fake narrative. They want to sell you this idea that he doesn't know what he's doing. They want to infantilize him. They don't want to admit that he is smart, he understands how Washington works, and he understands what he needs to do as president. And that's the only reason that he left Wall Street. He left a very comfortable lifestyle to go and be maligned and hated and criticized because he understands, and he actually tweeted this just the other day, this meme that says, they hate me because I am, because they actually hate you. And I'm the one who's defending yeah, you I from liberal ideology. Right. Yeah. And he understands that very clearly and he's willing to stand up. We can't buy into the fake news media narrative. You know, I tell my parents that all the time when they you know text me, oh no, you know, what about this article? I saw this is you know a headline. And I'm like, okay, let's break this down. Look at what they're actually saying. And by the end of it, they're kind of laughing, going, Wow, the media's stupid. And I'm going, Yeah, exactly. So don't buy into it. Look at the facts for yourself. And I mean, his executive orders, everything that he does, that's all on the White House uh, website. If people would take more responsibility to take a few minutes and check into the facts themselves, not just do the easy thing and read a political article, then that's where people can actually get the facts for themselves and see how much this president. Has well, it's it's hard to get the facts because the journalism isn't interested in facts anymore. I think, you know, it's really difficult. I'm not kidding. Like you and I know where to go and find them. But, you know, does the average Joe, they don't have time to read 16 different newspapers. And where well, you're going to get 16 different versions of the events. I mean, you know, hopefully we'll get to this. Russian intelligence thing in a moment, but I, on that, the transactional comments, because again, I, I get that a lot. Because you put out all the facts and the truth. So, you know, if they follow you, that's a good first. Well, thank you. That's for, I really appreciate that. Thank you. We do our best. You know, sometimes we get it wrong, but we correct it. But I appreciate that. Um, uh, my criticism of the Trump is just transactional, doesn't have any guiding ideology comments are, 
If that's the case, Jenna, this is the single dumbest transaction in American history. This guy was living the life. He was rich. The press loved him. The, all the elites and culture thought he was, he was in. They had him in rap videos and Miss America pageants. The guy, everybody loved him. He was all over. He'd be cited in music and entertainment. He had this number one TV show. He, if he had no ideology and no guiding principles at all, Candidly, he would have run as a Democrat, right? Because Democrats, you're always accepted to be the good guy by the media. Why would he run as a Republican? I mean, it's a simple question, is it not? That if Trump is only transactional, he only cares about Trump in the end and positive press, then what the hell was he doing running as a Republican? He would have probably slid to a landslide if he just ran as a Democrat. The Democrats would have loved him, but he didn't. And I, that's why I just so dispute this nonsense that the man doesn't have a guiding set of principles. No human being would have stayed in office and gone through this and ran if he didn't believe what he was doing was the righteous path. 100%. And that is so well said, Dan. And, you know, there are all of the people who genuinely are for him and are around him, you know, myself included, in all honesty. I mean, I, you know, I get probably 1%, if that, of all of the hatred and vitriol, but I get a lot of it. And to just see, you know, the, the sincere hatred from people, I mean, it's just, it's more hatred for conservatives who are supporting Trump and supporting America. And, you know, he wouldn't be there taking all of that if he didn't genuinely believe in America. And I would not be here and would not be, I mean, I, you know, I come from Colorado. I'm, I am in a constitutional law attorney that cares about America. I care about our funding principles, our American way of life. And I support and work for president Trump because I know that he is genuine in his conservatism. I know that he cares about this country and I'm willing to put up with, you know, what little, but for, for me, it's a lot. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's a, a, an insane amount of hatred um, that I get every day. Um, and I'm willing to put up with that. Like he's willing to put up with it because I believe that this president is doing so much for America. And I'm not here just because of the paycheck. Like so many people say, um, I'm here because I truly believe in the cause. And those are the people he does have some people like that around him. But moving forward um, into the next four years, he's going to get even more of those type of people around him who understand him and want to serve him and this country, not serve Washington interests. Well, Jenna, on that topic, you know, the hatred we receive, sadly, I've said often, you know, we see liberals largely as people with bad ideas. Liberals see us as bad people with ideas. And there's a big difference. Not to say I don't get feisty with liberals. I listen, I do personal attacks. I'm not above it. Brian, I can't stand Brian Selter. Brian, he just annoys me. And sometimes I, I, uh, I lose it on my show about this guy. Uh, by the way, if you've missed ever uh, some of Jenna's cuts from CNN, folks, you are you're making a huge school. Google Jenna Ellis, uh, CNN, or DuckDuckGo, whatever you use. You can see some of her great appearances over there. But you've been the victim of some of this as well. You had uh, tweeted out on your social media account a little while ago, Defense of Christianity, saying, listen, this culture war thing, you come for Christianity, I'm going to fight back. Like, we're not giving that up. That's my lodestar. That's our guiding, uh, guiding light. And you were just mercilessly attacked. And I'll tell you in all candor, I read the tweet, and to this day, I'm still curious why that created a controversy. Is that more indicative of where we are in this culture war now, how just about any tenet of our belief system is going to go down? And does the president, I kind of know the answer, but does the president recognize that? Does he understand like he's the tip of the spear of this culture war? We lose him. It's over. Oh, 100%. He gets that so clearly. And again, that's why, you know, there's, there is absolutely no basis uh, to the allegation that he might drop out. I mean, he understands that he's the tip of the spear and that he is uh, the forefront of this, of, of the wall, literally, you know, if we want to talk about barricades and why walls are necessary from this deluge of the progressive liberal leftist culture that is trying to fundamentally transform America. And, you know, you mentioned that tweet and it was really interesting to me, Dan, as well. I mean, I just, I just felt like after reading, you know, all this stuff about um, what the mob is doing, Black Lives Matter, which, you know, that's a movement that has an ideology and it's not about Black Lives Matter. Um, it's it's about a fundamental transformation of America that's trying to rid 
uh, America of our founding principles to rid us of our institutions that are morally based, the family, the traditional family, the church, our system of government that has legitimate powers, but limited powers to preserve and protect the rights that you and I cherish that are God given. Uh, Black Lives Matter and Antifa and all of these other um, extreme mob mentality leftists, they are coming in with a very fundamentally different worldview. And they want to tear down those institutions. That's why they're burning churches, toppling statues. That's why they hate President Trump and his law and order uh, agenda and to, and to make sure that he will enforce our laws. And so when I was reading this, and I was actually on, on the plane to go out to uh, Arizona to see you know, the president's speech. And I read a few of these tweets, including one of the main leaders for Black Lives Matter that was talking about burning down uh, churches and mm-hmm. um, and monuments to what he called the white Jesus. And when you take this idea of racism and you say that everything is systemically racist and you put up a false straw man argument to then say that because you know, because Christianity believes that Jesus was white, that's about white supremacy. Therefore, Christianity needs to go. That's not what Christianity believes at all. We actually, um, the worldview of Christianity shows there is one race. We are all one blood because we all as human beings are made in the image of God and therefore have inherent dignity and worth. And because of that, we then with that worldview is the only one that recognizes the inherent value of human beings, not on the basis of sex, not on the basis of color, not on the basis of age. That's why, you know, we are so pro-life from the moment of conception because unborn children also have the same inherent dignity and worth. But when these leftists try to harness uh, the their power of this so-called systemic racism, and they put up a straw man and they say that Christianity is now only defending whiteness and white supremacy, then on that basis, they're going to try to cancel Christianity. And I saw that very clearly. So I simply put out a tweet. It wasn't even a response to anybody. It was just by saying, if they come for my Christianity, I will stand firm. I will stand up. And I'm also proud to be an American. That tweet, Dan, got over six and a half million views. I I know. And And I still don't get what was controversial about it. I'm still confused. Like what? I don't understand what the controversy was. It's not controversial, and it shouldn't be in a genuine America that's founded on the understanding that our first freedoms, freedom of speech, association, and free exercise of religion, allows us to do what we're doing right now, which is to speak together about truth and to decide for ourselves what is truth, what is fact, and what we believe about God and the things that are most important to us and life's most essential questions. The left wants to tear down that freedom. They want to tell you how to think, what you can and can't think. That's why cancel culture is so important to them. That's why erasing history is so important to them. They don't want to actually progress and create a more perfect union. So my tweet was going exactly against everything that they believe, which is to say that if I'm standing up for the truth Christianity for truth, that truth actually exists, that we're not in a post-truth society, that goes and that targets the foundation of everything that they stand so ardently against. And that, and Sean King, who's a leader of Black Lives Matter, he saw that tweet and his response to that was, look, she's only defending her whiteness. That's how the narrative, just like the fake news media, and they're trying to cancel all of the good principles of America because they are pushing an ideology. And that's what people understand. You know, when we talk about just the mob mentality or why we need to keep statues or why we're pro-life or any of these top-level issues, we have to understand as conservatives, our perspective on these issues are grounded in truth. They're grounded in a comprehensive worldview that says we are all created equal and that that genuine equality can only come from an accurate, truthful view that we are all human beings made in the image of God. That's the truth of Christianity. And that's what the left is trying to attack. Yeah, I agree. And I think the value of the president in the culture war, uh, President Trump, is he just doesn't back down. You know, in a couple of interviews I did on Fox years ago, they asked me, you know, why does some derivative of why does the, uh, you know, why does President Trump drive the left so mad? And I said, because they're used to the cookie cutter Republican and the cookie cutter Republican was this. Uh, The Democrats would accuse you of being a racist for some comment that had 99.9% chance, nothing to do with race at all, no less racism. Um, The Republican would flee in horror, even though it was a completely fabricated made up charge. 
would run to the New York Times, beg forgiveness and apologize. Um, Jenna, that's real power. That's power to do that, to be able to subjugate people like that to your uh, whims based on nothing more than an assertion that's untrue. You're a racist. I apologize. Um, that's what they do. I mean, that's just how they were. President Trump doesn't do that. Um, when they accuse him of things that aren't true, like, my gosh, he's a racist, despite this, uh, you know, seemingly positive assertion, of, uh, 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 you know, they're so sure about it. I don't mean positive, and, you know, positive versus negative, but they're so sure about it. No one ever mentioned that before he ran for office. He just doesn't accept it and he bashes right through it. So whereas they are used to apologizing and they've kind of accommodated themselves to that, they're not willing to accept this new model of a Republican that just says, nah, that we're not going to do that because I'm not a racist. You're making that up. You're a liar. And a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, I'm turning around on you. You guys are the fake news. And I'm going to make the story about you instead. Would you agree like he's the bull in the China shop? And that's what has them so afraid if they can't get this guy under control via the election or getting rid of him? hundred percent. That's why the fake news media is relentlessly attacking him because he won't apologize. And in turn, he is giving conservatives a more bold voice that we need to stand up and say, no, I'm not going to apologize for the way that I look or, you know, how I was born. I'm not going to apologize categorically and, you know, submit to a false narrative. I'm going to stand up for the truth. And he's giving, I think, conservatives and the Republican Party, certainly, the boldness to stand up for truth and to say, no, the premise of your attack is fundamentally false. And we haven't seen that in a president since Ronald Reagan, to stand up and say, no, you are wrong. And so they hate him viscerally for that because they can't attack him in the ways that they've always been able to attack Republicans and, you know, make us retreat into the corner and apologize and say, you know what, if you'll just stay out of our churches, we'll be fine. You can have the rest. Just please, please, please stay out of our churches. Well, President Trump doesn't beg for anything. He doesn't say, please, please, please. No. He says, no, and I'm moving forward and I'm going to be on the offensive and I'm taking back ground. I'm not just going to defend and I'm not going to retreat. I'm going to actually take more ground for our founding principles. And that's why they hate it. And that's why this election is so incredibly important and why people can't just say, well, you know, Joe Biden's kind of a moderate. No, he's not. Everything that he stands with all of his party, those are the extremists. They're the defund the police. They're these Marxist ideological wackos that are out there that want to tear down freedom and liberty. President Trump stands for America proudly. He stands for the flag. He stands for liberty and freedom. And that's the contrast of what this election is all about. Wow, this is a long one. Wouldn't you agree, Paula? We, we like you, Jenna. We usually go a half hour. A couple more questions. I'll let you go. You've been generous with your time. Uh, I got to get to this. Yeah, this is great. I mean, that's what I like about long form interviews. We just get to go on topics and we don't necessarily have to stick to a script. Uh, just a quick one here and then I'll wrap it up with the uh, latest uh, foreign policy hoax being uh, imposed upon us by the fake news. What do you think the state of the GOP is? I, I have to tell you, I saw, um, we're taping this, by the way, on, uh, what is it, Wednesday? Yeah, when I got to look. I lose track of time. So last night, I watched uh, Tucker Carlson's uh, terrific show on Fox News. And uh, Tucker don't, and I don't always agree on everything, but he gave a monologue last night about the state of the GOP. I played it actually on my Wednesday podcast, which was probably the most important two minutes of television you're going to see in a long time. Um, and the gist of it was this, that, you know, it's time for a contrast. The Democrats have run against Democrat light Republicans for a long time, and the time for small measures are over. It's time for st stand for things, and it's time for stand for big ticket things religious liberty, economic freedom, you know, equality for all Americans, regardless of skin color, no special rights, no special privileges, the same rights for everyone. And the GOP, as Tucker, I, I think, accurately stated, not all of them. There are some good ones out there. I don't want to stereotype, but a large majority of them have completely abandoned us and have just decided to run as Democrats light. And the contrast isn't there. And I think Tucker's assertion about the president was it's his bold kind of brashness and his willingness to do things differently that have created that contrast for the first time in a long time. What do you think the state of the GOP is? And do you think that some of these kind of hacks on the inside and the Republican side, my word, not yours, but they're just waiting for the first opportunity to dump this president. Yeah. And there are definitely people inside of the GOP and in Washington who are not for this president and are actually actively working against him. And they want to return to the status quo of 
Washington as they knew it before Trump. And that's so unfortunate because they're not genuine Republicans in the sense that Republican, um, if we can equate that as the political party that believes in the conservative principles and how America was founded and our founding principles. And so, you know, you and I might call them rhinos, like, you know, Republican in name only <laughs> yeah. or you know, or, or some other, or, or hacks, right? I mean, I'll adopt that term too. Um, but these are people who genuinely are only self-interested and they're in Washington because they want a career. They want to survive this presidency and they want to basically return Washington to, to the normal that President Trump came in and is shaking up completely. So, you know, while the Democrats have a complete identity crisis in the sense that they need to embrace the fact that their party is not genuinely moderate Democrat anymore. They're not for abortion being safe, legal, and rare. They're for uh, infanticide. I mean, that is a pill their platform. They're against freedom. They're against you, all of these things. Well, in the same way, the GOP, not President Trump, not the MAGA movement, but the GOP has that same identity crisis actually going on, that they need to recognize that the conservatives and the base has moved forward and is embracing the MAGA movement only because we recognize and cherish the principles of America's founding and freedom and liberty genuinely. And we are rejecting the weak Republicans in Washington. And they are going to need to either get on board or get out. And that is going to be all. And I wish that President Trump had more supportive Republicans around him uh, because he could have accomplished even more things. And there are some, there are quite a number of them. I mean, Not enough. About Jim Johnson from Louisiana, you know, uh, John Radcliffe, I mean, all these, Mark Meadows, all of these great people um, who are around him in Congress to support him. Man. But there's not enough. You're right. No, and enough. we need to make sure as, as Republicans, and I'm a registered Republican, obviously, that our party is um, moving forward in a way that leaves behind this sort of, you know, pansy-like uh, capitulation. And that with President Trump, we move forward to a bold new era of reclaiming the principles of our founding and what made America so great. Let me ask you an exit question here. The latest um, New York Times fake news stories is the president was briefed that our soldiers had bounties on them placed by the Russians, given a Taliban um, agents of the Taliban that to kill our soldiers. Now that intel may or may not be true, but the story was that the president was briefed and did nothing. Of course, it's another effort to tie him to the debunked, uh, discredited Russian collusion hoax. But I was on the five the other day and I told this story, having been a secret service agent where they just seem to not understand the way intelligence works. That's why they're journalists and not special agents or intel operatives. The president is not briefed about every single bit of intelligence the intelligence community gets. Why? Because a lot of that intelligence turns out later to not be true. You don't want to brief the president. The Russians are planning an EMP attack tomorrow. Strike first. You know, he drops a nuke and then finds out the next day, my bad, we screwed that up. I was telling a story about a time I spent in Indonesia with the Secret Service. President Obama is about to land... We see some activity in this hotel. We think it could be really bad, potential terror activity. We're like, what do we do? Do we tell the president? We don't tell him. We fix it. We find out later. Nothing to do with that at all. It's just a business guy, case of mistaken identity, et cetera. President landed, never heard a thing about it. I mean, is that dereliction of duty? The president didn't know. You know why the president didn't know? Because he didn't have to know, because it wasn't verified yet. Can you please address this story and just the media spin on this, that this guy's completely out of touch, the president, he doesn't care about any of this nonsense, and just kind of throw this thing to, because I'm getting tired of this garbage, this fake news stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, well, and this is, again, just another you know malicious narrative from the fake news media that wants to try to spin this in a way to say that somehow President Trump is different, you know, than all of the other presidents uh, throughout American history. There is a reason, as you said, and I thought, you know, what you said was perfectly spot on, Dan, that there's a reason he has a director of of, uh, national intelligence, that he has, you know, the NSA, that he has people who uh, are in place to vet uh, security, intel, and um, and national intelligence information. The intelligence community, if they're doing their job, they're not going to bother him 24-7 with every single piece of intelligence that may or may not be accurate. You know, but for these reporters, it's like for them, they try to grasp onto every possible opportunity to spin a narrative that he is somehow just sitting in the Oval Office doing nothing and doesn't care. It's ridiculous. And so as journalists, they are looking for opportunities 
to spin the narrative falsely. I mean, if you look at one of the questions from uh, the reporter to the press secretary this past week was, um, you know, in, in regard to the statues, was saying, you know, do you, does the president feel happy that the Confederacy lost, that the South, you know, lost the Civil War? I mean, I saw that. Ryan Lizza, name him, name him, Ryan Lizza. What a toolbox! That was the dumbest question I've ever heard in the in the Brady press room ever. But that question was just as stupid and humiliating for the press as this ridiculous New York Times story, and that's what Americans need to understand is that they can't just take this one story that then you know goes goes wild and viral before the truth can come out and then suddenly oh yeah sure that's you know that's just a white house cover-up and then it's some sort of controversy all they're trying to do is generate controversy where there is none so that they don't have to report the fact and truth that this president is doing a great job so this story was absolutely false it was ridiculous and you know i think it was winston churchill or at least this was attributed to him that said you know a lie goes halfway around the world before the truth can even get its pants on that's the new york times that's true. Paula's giving me the heave ho because you're the longest interview now we've ever conducted. She's in the background. Cut, cut. We we break down the fourth wall on this show all the time, Jenna. Jenna, I got to run. Thank you so much for your time, folks. Please follow Jenna on social media, on Parler and Twitter, uh, Jenna Ellis uh, ESQ. Follow her there. She does some really fantastic, insightful commentary you're not going to get anywhere else. And she's been a fantastic advocate for liberty and freedom and this president who cares about those uh, big ticket items as well. We really appreciate it, Jenna. Thanks for your time. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Dan. You just heard Dan Bongino.